Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. In 2001, Ginny Jablonski retired from a career in international security to focus on resolving emerging medical issues. In 2012, she suffered a near-death experience when fentanyl, a prescription opioid medication, caused her lungs to stop working. After this event, she began to see, sense, and feel energies in a very dramatic way for which she had no intellectual context. She was certain of only one thing. If she wanted to understand what was happening to her, she needed to live. And that meant discontinuing all prescription medication. In her desire to regain control over her own health and well-being, she eagerly pursued alternative therapies and began, began educating herself in esoteric philosophies. Today, Ginny is here to talk about her near-death experience, experiences, plural, because there's more than one, and everything that has transpired after. Welcome, Ginny, to the show. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here, and I'm really excited to get to talk to you. Hi, everybody. This month, I'm asking for your support on Patreon. So if you haven't had a chance yet um, to listen to my first episode of the year, go ahead and take a listen to that. And I explain a little bit more about why I am so passionate about Patreon. And one of the experiences that I had this this just this past December with some of my patrons, where we had a one hour Zoom call, we were able to chat about everything and anything they wanted to talk to me about. And it was an amazing experience, I think for them, but certainly for me as well. So please head on over to Patreon and help support the show. You can give any amount, five, 10, $20. You can give less than that, but any little bit helps in supporting life, death, and the space between. Also make sure you're following me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. And if you are interested in receiving my newsletter, which has biweekly soul wisdoms, please head on over to dramyrobbins.com and subscribe to my newsletter. Lastly, I'm still taking ghost stories for this year. Uh, I don't have any more, so or maybe I have one more. So if you have a ghost story to share, please send that to team at dramyrobbins.com and I will be excited to share it on my show. Thanks and enjoy this week's episode. Back to you. So can you tell us my listeners love to hear about near-death experiences. So can you tell us what yours was like? Well, the first one I experienced, I was three months old and I had whooping cough and I was in the hospital packed in ice in a tent and I had turned blue and it wasn't looking very good, according to my mother. I found out later in life, I think I might've been 10 or 12 when she shared this information with me. And I remembered this under a like a spontaneous hypnotic regression. I, I did not have a conscious memory of this in, in my life until several years ago. Right. Makes sense because we usually don't remember things that early on in our lives. Right. Now, there are many categories of near-death experiences. This one would fit under the category of going to the void, the black velvety space of, of nothingness. Of, of everything, but not understanding in that moment, you know, what that was. 
And when I went back, uh, I believe my soul did so because I was going to live a life of tremendous abuse, multiple forms of abuse and trauma. And I was trying to use this opportunity as an exit clause, an exit ramp for the life. And I was encouraged to come back. It wasn't a very pleasant experience. I wasn't very happy about having to come back. But, uh, and when I recalled that under this regressive experience, I was very hysterical and very angry. And it helped me to understand why I had carried um, some anger in my unconscious mind that I just didn't understand what the, where the anger was coming from at, at the core of me. My second near-death experience, as you shared, was in 2012 and after I had been on fentanyl for about four years. And um, in that experience, my brain forgot to tell my lungs to breathe due to an uh, interaction of prescription medication, fentanyl and Dilaudid. And I was propelled into a, a white space with no ceiling, no floor, a, a beautiful large deciduous tree in front of me. And a man that looked like my version, my, you know, U.S. sort of um, wasp <laughs> version of Jesus, right? And um, he, he was there. And there were some beings that were obscured off to the left. And I was very conscious. I was very aware. <clears throat> I didn't have a physical body, but I was very aware of what was happening and my life and my experience. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, I was on a lot of medication. It makes sense. This is it. I'm dead. And the medication um, interaction uh, accidental or was there like, was this a, was this a suicide attempt or was this just, no. So this was just like a complete flu. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I talk about this in, in other interviews, and I've um, been the keynote speaker at several medical conferences where I talk about the interaction between myself and my doctor. And I said, boy, you know, I only weigh like 105 pounds. That seems like a lot. And he said, oh, don't worry. I have surgeons and judges on more medication than this. What were you on the medications for? Severe pain. Uh, was a mystery. None of the doctors could figure it out. I found out later after my near-death experience that the pain was a result of neurological Lyme disease. Okay. But no, but I spent seven years going to many doctors and with different um, uh, doctors in Beverly Hills uh, trying to find out what the source of the pain was. And I was misdiagnosed with many things and I was prescribed every non-narcotic medication you can imagine for pain because I carried a gun and I didn't want to be on opioids or narcotics and I wanted to go back to work. I just thought whatever this pain was would go away when the doctors figured it out. I, you know, I thought doctors knew everything. So, and, and just to be clear, the reason you carried a gun was because you were in international security. Yes, I was a diplomatic protection agent. I worked for Vance International. So you you took time off to try to figure this out. You have this overdose. I, I, I guess 
overdose because it was prescribed to yes. you that way, right? Um, and then, so tell me what what kind of happens. You you see Jesus for mm-hmm. you know as we sort of have socially constructed whatever Jesus right, exactly. Like. Um, and then and then what happens? I'm sure it was the vision that nurtured and comforted me in that moment. That that's what I needed to perceive. Um, I, I was ready to go with him. I thought, yeah, this makes sense that, you know, my life's over. I I have no more. um, I cannot contribute to society any longer. (laughs) I've been bedridden now for, it was about eight or nine years. I had been almost completely bedridden. My husband took care of me. Um, and I heard some noise behind me and I turned around and there were the horses and donkeys that I had volunteered with for many years at a sanctuary near my home. And they were screaming in in the English language, don't go, don't go. Don't you remember there's something important you have to do. And that reminds me that that's what I kept hearing in my near-death experience when I was three months old. You have to go back. There's something important you have to do. So So when I heard that, I just turned around and little comedy here. I said, sorry, Jesus, I'm going with them. (laughs) And I I popped back in my body and I regretted it that moment. I, I was in excruciating pain. My lungs felt like they were on fire. It felt like you know, a 300 pound man was sitting on my chest. I, my heart had stopped. My lungs had stopped. Um, I had a a couple tiny strokes, like the, the left side of my face droops a little bit. And, um, my memories are not, um, as clear as they could be long-term memory and my vocabulary recall, you know, I speak very simply and sometimes I, I lose my place in conversation. So, um, but the trade off me too. And I didn't have a near death experience. So. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's very frustrating for me um, with these, especially when I'm trying to communicate and share right. a story and yeah, I stumble. I so. Yeah. so what happened afterwards? Because I mean, now you have this undiagnosed neurological disorder on mm-hmm. top of the result of the overdose. And I see you sitting before me today and you, I look on your website and you're standing and you're working with animals. And so how did you get from that place of laying in a bed for eight or nine years to where you are today? Well, a lot of physical therapy. So I could sit up for more than 30 minutes and fly on an airplane and travel. Um, it, it was very difficult. Um, I did a lot of personal work, a lot of inner work. I had never heard of alternative healing or spirituality before. And so I really went down hundreds of rabbit holes, um, some of which were um, very interesting and not very productive. What happened was the the very next day, I said to my husband, I think there's a reason for me to live. I don't know what that could possibly be, but here I am. And if I want to live, I need to get off of medication. And he supported me and said he didn't care how much money it took, that he supported me and he loved me and we would go forward from there. And so I tried everything, you know, wellness centers and alternative doctors and 
probably 12 to 15 different kinds of alternative healing modalities, you know, physiotherapy, psychotherapy, you name it. And it took about four years for somebody to say, were you ever tested for Lyme disease? Mm -hmm. And then it really became very clear. But after two years, I was able to get off of medication because I found that the lion's share of my pain was unresolved emotional trauma. So it was unconscious and subconsciously held uh, emotional trauma in my body. My body was trying to give me messages and tell me that I needed to attend to my soul and to my psyche. And I did not have the capacity to understand that because in the West and especially in the U.S., we're largely we are not introduced to alternative healing methods or conversations about psycho-spirituality and the soul and um, how the soul speaks to us and how the body speaks to us and consciousness and all of those beautiful conversations that you and I love to have with people mm -hmm. all day long. <laughs> what propelled me forward was immediately after my near-death experience, I began to see, sense, and feel multidimensionally. I still had a connection to what the, the Hindus call the monad. I, I refer to it as the oversoul. I had a connection to the causal realms. And it, it was as if we never hung up the telephone line. So all of the trauma and my shutdown heart that prevented me from getting guidance from my own soul, I, I had a workaround. I had this beautiful open line to communicate and receive messages from my soul whenever I wanted, even though I didn't know what that was at the time. And all of my psychic senses were turned on and turned up full volume. So seeing, sensing, and feeling things and asking people questions and traveling around the country and eventually traveling around the world to try to get my questions answered is what continuously propelled me forward on my journey. So what allowed you uh, to ultimately, like when you got the messages from your soul, what did those messages sound like? What were they, what was your soul saying to you? How was it speaking to you? Dreams, visions, in, I'll air quotes this, in healing sessions with other people, my soul began to reveal to me past lives, the past lives that were creating specific traumas or patterns or uh, experiences, interpersonal struggles in this life, mm -hmm. and sometimes voices, but I also heard what I thought were voices. I heard consciousness. I heard the consciousness of plants. I heard the consciousness of animals. I heard the consciousness of people's broken heart when they spoke human English words, but their body and their soul and their heart were screaming something different. I heard that. I heard the trauma trapped in their nervous system and their body. I heard the projections and judgments of other people on them. And my husband and I just thought I was hearing voices and, you know, he has two degrees in science and I majored in economics. So if you couldn't put it on a spreadsheet and prove it to me statistically, I didn't think it was real. So, mm -hmm. you know, we just thought maybe it was the drugs, you know, 
And that if I got off the drugs, it would go away until I started meeting people who had, you know, similar experiences, similar abilities. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of people only believe their objective reality works one way. And I kept meeting people who were so confident that they had all the answers and I was wrong and they were right. (laughs) And what I was seeing couldn't be because it didn't fit into their symbolism or their metaphor or their archetypal um, psycho-spiritual perspective of humanity. And I got all manner of symbols from all religions, from all healing modalities. And I, I have had many lifetimes where I was all of those things. So I wasn't limited to one philosophy or one paradigm or one objective reality. And as you know, we have our objective reality, we have our subjective reality, and then we have this beautiful thing called intersubjectivity, which is where I now live in this intersubjective realm. And I can relate to anyone's symbolism, anyone's archetypal program, anyone's metaphor. It's all real to me. I can perceive it. I can feel it. I can see it in the energy field. So to be that advanced with no context whatsoever didn't sit well with a lot of people who were sure they had it all figured out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you're treated for the Lyme disease with medication, but yet you said that the piece that really needed to heal was the emotional trauma. So what was the work that you did around that? You know, you talk about energy work and and I think a lot of people throw the term energy work out there, but how do you define that? And what does that look like for you? Well, I'm not really big on the the style of energy work that does something to another person. <laughs> I'm, I'm really into learning and growing and teaching and sharing and creating a, a community and helping people be more self-aware and more empowered. And in the ways where I was empowered and educated about myself, my humanness, my psychology, I was able to forgive, to release to become more self-aware and to understand how, um, you know, the ACEs study or the childhood emotional neglect studies Mm -hmm. um, create our reality as an adult. And for people who don't know, the ACEs is the adverse childhood events scale. Um, That's what you're referring to. The adverse childhood experiences. Yes. Yeah. And it's a scale where you, you, it asks you a, a series of, I don't know, it's like, 18 or 12 or 18 questions or something. And it says, did this happen to you? And the thinking is that um, if we have these early events in childhood, then it, it greatly increases the possibility for anxiety, depression uh, in adulthood. So. Absolutely. And the way we respond under stress, under pressure as an adult is is closely mirrored by the way we were treated as a child in in those similar circumstances Mm -hmm. and we then took on those patterns so in this education 
in my growing and learning and studying about the human experience, weaving that in with many different energetic protocols and um, uh, systems where we um, determine if someone's out of balance, et cetera, I was able to weave all of those threads together and find ways to help myself overcome childhood and early adulthood trauma so that I could make room in my nervous system and in my energy field for my own soul to be embodied. Mm. And that is how I got off of pain medication. I was not treated for the treatment of Lyme disease did not affect my ability to get off of pain medicine. It took me two years and it was through forgiveness and self-awareness that I was able to get off of the pain medicine. It wasn't easy and I wouldn't recommend it to everybody the way I did it, but it is possible. Yeah. I mean, that's not something we're recommending. You would have to consult with your physician, Um, but it sounds like what did that forgiveness look like? Cause I think sometimes that's a really esoteric kind of out there way of thinking like, Oh, I was just able to forgive myself. How does that look concretely? Yes. Yeah, superficially on the outside, let me tell you, I thought I was done many, many times when I wasn't. So I thought, well, I forgave that a long time ago. The missing link for me was that it was actually held in my body. I had cellular memory of it. It existed in my nervous system as a thought or a feeling or an emotion that was trapped in, in judgment where I had judged another person or myself in those experiences. And those energies become trapped in our body. Our body carries them when our mind doesn't process the memory in the same way our mind processes a a sort of a neutral memory or a happy memory. And how did you know once it was released from your body? Did you well, like I could feel a physical release like in that moment and you were like, OK, it's gone now. Or was it uh, over time you just felt like the grip loosening a little bit? Yes, because for someone like myself who had a lot of family trauma and a lot of abuse, many different ways, it was almost crystallized in in my core in my different, the different levels of the chakras, which are just energetic metaphors for our nervous system, right? And and how the energy moves through our body. I was able to highlight the trauma based on the thoughts. Our thought patterns are, I think, the number one indicator of whether or not we still have trauma, whether or not we still are resisting seeing something within ourselves, whether or not we haven't forgiven someone, the patterns and thoughts that go through our mind consciously were a good indicator for me that I wasn't done healing on my journey. It was one indicator. A second indicator was when intuitives like myself, and I think yourself included, can perceive with our permission where these energies or where these traumas are trapped in our body. And that was very helpful for me. The the two most helpful things were intuitives who could help me understand why I continue to experience certain patterns in my life, certain thoughts, feelings, or emotions that I was consciously aware of. And then the things that we're unconsciously aware of 
it's very, very helpful to have someone who is an intuitive or who is clairvoyant or claircognizant or frankly, clairaudient, because some people can, like me, hear the energies, the judgment, the shame, the projection of other people's opinions and and their um, their anger, you know, or, or guilt being projected on us. And I certainly had all of that. So you were having all of this information flooding in about yourself or these intuitives were helping you to see that. And you were also picking that up from other people there. So there's two separate things here, right? There's you had gone to intuitives who helped you to identify and see these patterns, but then you also, as a result of the near death experience, were picking up on other people's stuck energies for lack of a, is that the right? Yes. Yes. And in the beginning, I didn't understand that there were eight and I think more than eight psychic senses. I thought we lived in a five sensory world. Um, So it took me a while to begin to understand and control my own abilities. And it is not as easy as it sounds. And there are entire um, classes of people out there that consider themselves empathic, right? And and they just sort of resign themselves to that. And, oh, I'm this is how I am. I'm at the effect of outside energy or other people's feelings or the emotions of the world or the collective consciousness. When, in fact, every single one of our psychic senses is controlled by our lower chakras and our level of alignment with our own soul and our level of self-esteem and our level of self-awareness and and our level of awareness of ourselves as an energetic being. So it took me probably four or five years, probably five years. So three more years after getting off of the medication where I could put boundaries, appropriate and ethical boundaries on things I was seeing and knowing. And And through no fault of my own, I didn't seek out to know when I was driving down the street that that man was cheating on his wife. Like I had no desire to know anything embarrassing or inappropriate about anybody ever, Mm -hmm. but it happened. And as because it happened, it compelled me to find out more about psychic senses Mm -hmm. and how to control them and, and what caused them to work or not work and how to put boundaries around them. And, and as they say in spirituality, peeling that onion, this is a a very large onion to peel. Well, you mentioned eight. I know five. What are the other three? Well, um, I don't have a list in front of me, but there's clairvoyance, claircognizance, clairaudience, clairtangency, clairgustance. Um, one is the taste, one is the smell. Wow. Um, uh, there's um, precognition, uh, okay. and there are many others as well. Um, there's te- uh, telekinesis and other types of... Um, okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, because I knew the clairs, but I didn't necessarily... I see. So the precognition and the telekinesis, and those are also right. considered... Right. And with the precognition, you can get that in a vision, uh, you know, a clairvoyant vision or a claircognizant knowing or a clairaudient, 
hearing a voice. Um, people also see colors and symbols, and it depends on your level of the level at which your consciousness is expressing itself through your system is how we receive information. So people that just perceive color, that's like being in kindergarten. We're in, we're in spiritual kindergarten. We're perceiving our reality as color and frequency, right? But there's no information attached we're not aware of an emotion or a past life event or a, a relationship, or we're not getting visions or more, um, more broad information. So you started working with humans, but we're really called to work with animals as well. Can you speak a little bit to what that was like, what that was like and why why animals you have three beautiful horses behind you as I'm looking <laughs> at you and I know horses are supposed to be super intuitive animals well some of them yeah I mean those who are traumatized uh should not be used uh, to that end but um well on my journey right away, within the first couple of years, just about every healer I went to kept telling me, you're a healer, you need to be doing this work, you're helping me more than I'm helping you, because I would just give people messages, hey, you know, I'm hearing this thing, do you want to, you know, I just saw this vision, do you want to know what I saw? And because I was in that environment, I wouldn't do it to people at the grocery store, but if I was in a, an appropriate environment... And they would call me and say, I have a client that I think you can help. Can you know? And I thought, wow, I have met some masters, teachers, and gurus and people that have studied decades to get to where they are. I just woke up like this. I I am not going to take somebody's money and give them messages. I'm I don't understand what's happening to me. In fact, the further down the road I go, the more questions I have, right? In in all humility, I am nobody's guru. And so I really held off for a long time until about, until about five years in. And then I really wouldn't take money. I, you know, somebody asked me to help somebody, I'd give them a little bit of information, but I wouldn't try to, you know, stay on the phone a long time. And then eventually I thought, wow, this is really helping people. This information is incredibly accurate and people's lives are being changed. And this is very helpful. Um, but one of the things that was woven into that was my soul's insistence on giving me a guided tour of all the lifetimes I had where I had been a healer, where I had done healing work, or I was a shaman or a doctor or a counselor of some kind. And my soul was very insistent on me learning from the mistakes I had made in the past where I wasn't using my abilities in an appropriate ethical way, where um, I might get, I might have given someone a message and they didn't ask for it, or I might have said, well, I know what's wrong with you. Let me fix you like a car. And there's a lot of that going on right now. And from my perspective and, and what my journey has um, brought me to is that we all have the ability to heal ourselves within us. And for each of us to have that opportunity to learn about our humanness and why we came here and do our own work with the support of people like yourself or intuitive, um, you know, I don't consider myself a counselor in any way. I make that very clear on, on my website um, or an intuitive person like myself. 
who has been there and who has been through the trauma and the struggle and truly has compassion and doesn't come from a place of judgment. Because on my journey, it was constantly judgment and finger pointing and, you know, one spiritual modality is correct and one isn't. And I just saw the beauty in all of it. And so, you know, I do, I do work quite a bit differently because of my experience and everything that I went through and the, the great length I went to, to forgive and release all of the traumas that my body and my psyche sustained in this lifetime. So I've done that. I've walked that path and I don't have judgment for people on, on the journey. And I think that's really key if we can overcome competition, jealousy, and judgment, then I think we're in a much better place to be able to communicate with other people about what their struggles are. Well, Ginny, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. If people are curious to hear more about who you are and what you do, where can they find you? My website is heartofthehorse.us, heartofthehorse.us. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for reaching out and sharing your story of healing. Because I think uh, when this episode drops, which will be in January, I believe, um, my whole theme for the month of January is living and how we heal and different ways of looking at healing. So I'm excited to share your story with, with everybody to think about if it feels like, you know, things are not looking up for you or you're struggling, there are, there are other ways. There are always other ways than the traditional kind of Western model that we think about in terms of healing. There might be something else out there for you that you haven't yet tried. So I hope that this, that your story really does serve as an inspiration. You don't need to have a near-death experience to open up to intuition, to open yourself up to healing, to open yourself up to letting go of trauma and emotions that you've been holding on to. Uh, You just have to find the right person to help be, as I heard years ago from Daniel Siegel, who's a brilliant uh, clinician and researcher, you just need to find someone who's a little bit further ahead in their journey or, or, or maybe like can just help bring you along the way. Right. You just need a, a guide to guide you. And I, I love that. And like you said in your website and some of what I've read, you know, other people don't heal us. Uh, we heal ourselves, but other people can be facilitators of our healing. Right. And, so, and I, I loved your short podcast you did in April, I think it was 2021 April, where you talked about consciousness. And that's a good place to start for people if they have an interest on in, in going on a journey like this. Well, thank you, Jenny, so much for your time today. And uh, I look forward to sharing your beautiful story with my listeners. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? wondering what comes next and what it all means, head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.